Our sermon text for today comes from Matthew 26, 69 through chapter 27, verse 10. You can follow along in your Bibles or it'll be up on the screen there. Matthew 26, 69 through 27, 10. Let's hear God's word to us today. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate the governor. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed, and he went out and hanged himself. But the chief priest, taking the pieces of silver, said, It is not lawful to put them into the treasury, since it is blood money. So they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him on whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord directed me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Mike, for reading the word for us. Even if it's not on the screen, it's in your Bibles and your phones and your iPads and many other places. Well, it is a delight to be here with you this morning. I'm always here with you somewhere out there in the general sense, but this morning I'm honored to be here with you in this distinct spot, the pulpit, to proclaim the word of the Lord. And as this is no trivial matter, would you join with me in prayer? Our great God, we come before you this morning with eager expectations that you will feed our hungry souls from your word. We come with many thoughts occupying our minds. Some are joyous and worthy of rejoicing, yet others involve job uncertainties or financial conundrums, pregnancies and the accompanying joys and fears, unfulfilled longings in our hearts, sicknesses and ailments that plague us, and sin that so easily entangles. But we all need you 
to nourish and restore our souls. Would you renew our minds this morning with what we hear from your word? We trust that you, Holy Spirit, have been preparing our hearts this week to receive these words, and we need you to be active now as we hear them, to drive them down deep into our hearts. Open our eyes this morning to behold wondrous things out of this text. We ask that you, Father, would do these things for our good and your glory, because of your Son and by your Spirit. Amen. Well, my kids are about to learn something about me today, because I'm going to tell you about the first time I got pulled over by the police. Yeah, first time. I was 16 years old, and I thought I was in deep trouble. I was in my little red Nissan pickup truck, following two of my friends in their car on our way somewhere, I don't remember where but probably to do some stupid teenager stuff, as you can imagine. And one of the things that this set of friends enjoyed as you're cruising through the neighborhood, tomorrow's trash day, maybe you drift over a little bit, knock over a trash can. You would go on a little further, maybe you drift over and knock over a recycling bin. So on and so forth as you cruise through the neighborhood. And as an aside, now as a 35-year-old uh, homeowner and curmudgeon, This angers me greatly. Uh, And that was all fun enough until I saw those red and blue lights in my rearview mirror. And of course, my friends in front of me did what any good friend would do. They kept on driving and left me there, all alone. So I had this general sense that I was in pretty deep trouble, probably going to jail, right? probably going to lose this truck that I'd saved up for and purchased. But two things were very clear in my mind as I waited for that policeman to come up to my window. First, I remembered the promise that my dad had made me long ago. He said, if you ever end up in jail, don't bother calling me. (laughs) So I remembered that very clearly. And second, I knew that exact look that would be on my dad's face when he heard out, heard, what stupid things I had been out doing. Well, long story short, the policeman let me off with a warning, and I decided to just drive home instead of wherever I was going. And driving home, I felt uh, the gravity of my sin and all that mercy that the policeman showed me that I did not deserve. So let's head towards our text this morning as we consider a few folks who were indeed in trouble. But just before we get there, let's remember where Matthew has brought us thus far. If we think back to this whole book that Matthew has been carrying us forward, getting to this main point, he gives us two chapters on Jesus' birth and youth. Two whole chapters, right? Something we would love to know more about. But Matthew has decided, by the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, two chapters is enough. The rest of his 30 years of life, right? Zero chapters. Get into this three-year ministry, 18 chapters. Pretty meaty. And this final week, this last sliver on the end, eight chapters. So Matthew has reached the pinnacle of his recounting of Jesus' life. And as he slows down, one week and eight chapters, we need to slow down and pay special attention. So the main thing I want for us to consider today, this one thing I want us to take away, and the meditation I want us to ponder all week, is this. 
When you deny Christ, repent, receive, and rest. When you deny Christ, repent, receive, and rest. We'll develop this idea from the text in three parts this morning. First, we'll look at a bitter repentance in chapter 26, verses 69 through 75. Second, a burdensome regret in chapters 20, chapter 27, verses 1 through 10. And third, a blessed reality as we reflect on those first two sections. So let's dive back into the text together as we look at a bitter repentance in chapter 26, starting in verse 69. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you two are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. So our text today continues on the Thursday night of Passion Week. After that betrayal by Judas Iscariot and the subsequent arrest of Jesus, the disciples scatter, just as Jesus told them they would. Peter has followed this great crowd up the courtyard to the courtyard of Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. And Peter settles in amongst the guards to watch this mock trial. We look at Peter, and we tend to love him because he reminds us of ourselves, doesn't he? We admire his passion and his boldness, and his, that his thoughts are an open book. Don't we just hate it when our favorite coaches give us coach speak that tells us no real information at all? Well, Peter's not like that. He wears his heart on his sleeve. Remember when Jake preached two weeks ago about Peter's declaration that even if all the other disciples fell away, Peter never would. And we also saw Peter, last week, draw his sword and cut off a guy's ear. Zealous for action was misplaced as it was. We can remember back in Matthew chapter 16 when Peter rebukes Jesus. Yes, you heard that right. For saying the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes would kill him, but that he'd be raised on the third day. Well, like Peter, we have a natural propensity to think too highly of ourselves, to swell up with pride, to turn the attention on ourselves, and Jake's sermon warned us about this two weeks ago. Now look at the boldness of Peter. He's settling right in with the guards until this terribly threatening figure emerges from the darkness, right? Well, no, it's a little servant girl, and she just has a simple claim that he was with Jesus. She doesn't come bearing a sword or a club like the crowd that arrested Jesus, just this comment. And this valiant warrior folds like a wet towel before this little voice. Notice with me the escalation of Peter's denials. His first denial in verse 70 brushes the accusation aside. I don't know what you mean. Surely Peter hoped that would be enough to end the conversation. He even relocates himself to the entrance. But another servant girl sees him, and her accusation isn't even to Peter directly, but to the bystanders. 
We can imagine how, after the first servant girl recognized Peter, the murmur of the crowd grew as the word spread from person to person. Peter jumps into this murmuring conversation to deny a second time, but adds an oath. He appeals to God to witness to something that was not true. Peter doubles down on his denial. He didn't trust his no to be no, as Jesus commanded in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. But Peter's third denial goes even a step further in verse 74, adding a curse. He prays that the curse of God would fall on him if he knows Christ. How fast does Peter's lie spiral out of control? I suspect that you too can imagine a time in your life when what started out as one partial truth or maybe very small lie that wasn't supposed to hurt anyone grew to be quite substantial as lies were added to cover other lies. Here we see the severity of sin's grasp on us, how it hurries us from bad to worse. John Owen, in his monumental works on sin and temptation, talks about how sin always seeks its ultimate. It's never content with just being a little sin by itself. It's a most nefarious cancer, and it always seeks death. Matthew is showing us two trials going on in this little courtyard. Just a few feet away, Jesus is steadfastly enduring a mock trial with the Sanhedrin hearing many false testimonies as Adam preached last week. And Peter, the rock, crumbles, crumbles beneath this true testimony of the servant girl. The Sanhedrin could build no legitimate case against our Lord, but this servant girl and the bystanders had plenty of evidence and witnesses to rightly indict Peter. As our suffering servant was silent, like a lamb led to slaughter, fulfilling Isaiah 53, 7. Peter opened his mouth and let loose falsehoods. Think for a second about just how big of an issue a denial of Christ is. Consider Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 10, verse 33. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. That's quite serious, is it not? But how merciful is God to Peter here? How much sin would he have heaped on himself if he were not stopped by the crowing of the rooster and remembering Christ's promise to him? This is not a particularly comforting promise that our Lord gave Peter. You're going to deny me three times. But he remembered it nonetheless and put an end to this temptation. Our first section today ends in the fulfillment of prophecy as Peter remembers the words our Lord has spoken to him just a few hours before. This courtyard was a small, intimate setting, close enough for Peter to hear the procession of the mock trial and close enough for Jesus to hear Peter's denials. Luke adds detail for us here in Luke 22:61. He says, And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord. This look of Jesus led Peter to go out of the courtyard and to weep bitterly. We have the benefit of seeing much more of Peter's future. We know of his spirit-empowered preaching in the book of Acts and the treasures of First and Second Peter, his epistles to the early church. Peter's actions help us to see that his repentance was bitter 
And it was true, and it was a gracious gift of God. Let's go back to the text and consider this burdensome regret, chapter 27, verses 1 through 10. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, What is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed, and he went and hanged himself. But the chief priests, taking the pieces of silver, said, It is not lawful to put them into the treasury, since it is blood money. Interestingly, they didn't seem to have an issue taking the money out of the treasury as blood money, but back to verse 7. So they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. Therefore, that place has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what was spoken, what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him on whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed you. Now we come to Friday morning. Good Friday, though it doesn't seem to be so yet. The Sanhedrin, ruling the Jews in their limited capacity, doesn't have the authority to carry out the death sentence they would like to execute, so they instead have to deliver Jesus over to Pilate. And I can't help but wonder what Judas thought was going to happen to Jesus. But in any case, this immense dread swells up inside him, and it causes him to rethink his actions. Now, whereas we tend to like Peter... I think we tend to dislike Judas, don't we? John tells us in John 12, 6 that Judas was a thief and having charge of the money bag used to help himself to what was put into it. We hate that Judas stole from our Lord who had no honor in his own hometown and no place to lay his head. And as Adam preached last week, Judas betrayed our Lord with a kiss. This was not the holy kiss that Paul tells us to greet each other with, but a kiss of death. So look in verse 3, how Judas takes his guilt to the chief priests. These were the men who should have been able to address his guilt. But Judas finds no restitution, no atonement there. He finds only more condemnation as they tell him to take care of his sin problem on his own. Though the five elders of this church are not your high priests, If we ever tell you to take care of your sin problem on your own, you should remove us immediately. We have a much better high priest. Our high priest tells us in Hebrews that we ought to, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. And that he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He saves to the uttermost. If you're in despair over your sin, if you recognize its weight, its grievousness, the burden it places on you, 
This text should be a sobriety test. Flee your sin and run, fly to the high priest who can and will take care of your sin as only he can. Know this, he is a far greater savior than you are a sinner. I think of all the children sitting here amongst us today, and you guys can pay special attention here. This is something that we want you to know as you grow up. By God's grace, you'll get to know and understand what sin is more and more. But we want you to always remember that Jesus is a far greater Savior than you are a sinner. Far greater. If you're a guest here today, or a regular attender, or even a member, and you think, God could never forgive me for what I've done. You don't even know. Well, I say to you today, stop thinking you could be more sinful than God is merciful. Stop it. Adam preached a few weeks ago about Jesus, our true and better Passover lamb. His sacrifice is infinitely more perfect than your imperfection. Infinitely more so. Let's go back to verse 7. This blood money purchases in Jerusalem, the representative city of God, a burying place for strangers. This place that stood with the memorial name, the field of blood, holds out to us, by way of type, the hope of salvation to strangers, Gentiles like you and me. I don't see Phil here this morning. So we're all Gentiles here. (laughs) Because of the silver that was the purchase price of Christ, purchased for us a place in the kingdom. Matthew bookends our second section today of this text with the fulfillment of prophecy, just like the first section, and as we've seen so often throughout his gospel. In verse 10, he reminds us that this entire process is under the sovereign direction of the Lord who uses even the wicked actions of men to accomplish his good purposes. Judas's regret was burdensome, and it was legitimate, but it was not repentance. As Esau, who regretted selling his birthright to Jacob, so Judas regretted this betrayal. But there was no change of heart that led to an outward change of behavior. With that blood money weighing heavily on him, Judas lifted the burden of the temporal wages of his betrayal by throwing down 30 pieces of silver. But he found no relief from the burden of the eternal wages of his betrayal. That is to say, the wages of sin is death. Judas' regret was sorrowful, but possessed no faith in God's mercy, and thus is no repentance. This is God's judgment on the wicked, torment over sin, without hope of consolation. So what should we do with these two examples of Peter and Judas, two men who found themselves in real trouble? Let's turn our text around as a mirror and apply it to ourselves as we look at the third section today, a blessed reality. The Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, famously said, of two evils, choose neither. Of two evils, choose neither. We're particularly fond of this saying, perhaps around election time, which is right around the corner, or certainly when the Packers play the Vikings. 
But today I want to modify this statement a little and say to you, my friends, of two false dichotomies, choose both. Of two false dichotomies, choose both. What I mean is, we've considered Peter and Judas, and our temptation here is to side with Peter, put ourselves in Peter's camp, and shun Judas. But this is a false choice, a false dichotomy. You need to realize that these two men were on the same path. They were called by our Lord to be his disciples, the inner twelve who benefited most from his ministry. They were both witnesses to the same miracles, heard the same authoritative teaching. We should look at Peter and praise God for granting him repentance. And we should look at Judas and confess that but for the grace of God, there go I and there go you. Fundamentally, Peter and Judas and you and I are the same apart from the grace of God. We are all born rebel sinners, but God's grace in Jesus redeems us. Born condemned under the law in the first Adam, we have no hope but to be translated into the household of God by faith in the second Adam, which is Christ. Beloved, we deny Christ in many ways. Our words, our thoughts, our deeds deny him as sovereign Lord over our entire lives. Every sin, big, small, and in between, is a rejection of Christ as Lord. With every sin, we proclaim, promise, and swear, I do not know that man. What will we do when Uncle Sam tells us that churches can no longer be tax-free organizations? or that our donations are no longer tax-deductible? What will we do when we're tempted to plan and direct our lives apart from the wise counselors the Lord has given us? What will we do when the Lord places unbelievers in our path, antagonistic ones even, who are openly hostile to God and his gospel, or even worse, they're in our family? What will we do when Mother Mayo tells us that we are not to assign that newborn baby a gender, though God Almighty has certainly already done so. When you sin, are you filled with regret or repentance? Do you simply acknowledge you've done something wrong? Or do you confess your rebellion against a just and holy God, trusting Him in faith to be merciful to you because of Christ? Hear these words from the Apostle John in 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. My only hope, your only hope, is the same as it was for Peter and Judas. Turn to the high priest who never needed to repent because he never sinned. He was denied on the cross by the Father so that you wouldn't have to be. Through faith, his perfectly righteous record can be accounted to you, and he will take on the full weight of your sin debt. This is a marvelous exchange rate. Beloved, this is our blessed reality, that when we deny Christ, we repent, we receive his righteousness, and we rest in his mercy. The iconic first of Martin Luther's 95 Theses reads, When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, Repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. This, friends, is the Christian faith, receiving and resting in Christ's righteousness alone. 
His righteousness is sufficient to cover all my sin, and it's sufficient to cover all your sins. May we never grow weary of hearing this good news. Let's pray. Lord, the unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. And we cling to this promise today as we seek to better comprehend the majestic person and work of our Savior on our behalf. Blow away any false words or ideas that we heard today and settle your truth in us. Be gracious to us and grant us repentance that we may receive and rest in the righteousness of Christ alone. Turn our eyes from looking at worthless things and give us life in your ways as our gaze is fixed on Christ. Amen.